Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how Moses' authority was challenged by the Jewish people, just as the Lord Jesus Christ's authority was challenged by the Jewish people as well. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, from these statements where it says that Moses feared and then Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, who had just learned um, that he had killed the Egyptian and Pharaoh was trying to kill Moses, we see something very, very interesting and very revealing about God. When Moses heard that it was well known that he'd killed this Egyptian, Moses was afraid for his life. And sure enough, when Pharaoh heard that Moses had killed the Egyptian, Pharaoh did try to kill Moses, and Moses fled out of Egypt. So these verses are saying clearly that Moses feared Pharaoh, and he fled from Egypt for his life. Now, if you turn to this other important passage that we've been studying with this, Hebrews 11.27, if you turn to Hebrews 11.27, we read, speaking about Moses in Egypt, by faith he, that's referring to Moses, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him that is invisible. So this verse in Hebrews 11.27 says clearly about Moses, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now wait a minute, I don't get it. This verse in Hebrews tells us clearly that by faith Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And yet the verses that we're studying here in Exodus tell us clearly that Moses fled Egypt fearing the wrath of the king. So how can this be? How can we have Exodus 14 telling us clearly that Moses left Egypt fearing the wrath of Pharaoh? And then in Hebrews 11:27 it says that Moses left Egypt not fearing the wrath of Pharaoh. Now, the answer to this question comes as we must remember that what we are reading about here in Exodus 2 was the first of two times when Moses left Egypt. This was the first of the two times when Moses left Egypt. So from the point that we are at in Exodus 2, 14, there's going to be 40 years that are yet to come. Then Moses is going to return to Egypt, and he's going to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, and then Moses is going to leave Egypt for the second time. And that second time, when Moses will leave Egypt, is recorded for us in Exodus 12, 30-31, where he stands before Pharaoh. It says this, Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called from Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. That was the day when Moses boldly stood before Pharaoh and Moses led all of the Jewish people out of Egypt. That was the second time. That was the second time when Moses left Egypt. That was the time that Hebrews 11.27 is referring to when it says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So here's the question. Why does the word of God tell us explicitly in Exodus 2 
that Moses fled Egypt in fear of Pharaoh, which refers, of course, to the first time. And then in Hebrews 11, looking back over the life of Moses, it says Moses fled Egypt not in fear of the king. Well, that's referring, obviously, to the second time. Why does the, but here's the question. Why does the Bible make a point of saying that Moses was afraid of the king when he fled Egypt? That's the first time. And then it goes on to characterize Moses' great achievements of his life when it says in Hebrews 11, looking back over his life, Moses was not afraid when he fled Egypt. He wasn't afraid of the king, referring to the second time. It shows us something wonderful. Something very important about God. When God looked over the panorama of Moses' life in Hebrews 11, God chose to just disregard when Moses fled Egypt in fear of the king. And instead, God chose to honor Moses for when Moses fled Egypt not fearing the king. God did that because God is for Moses. And God wants to disregard Moses' failures and concentrate on Moses' victories. That's the same way that God deals with us. God is for us. Our lives are full of failures and things that we're ashamed of and things that we don't want to remember. And God knows about all those things, just like God knew about when Moses did run out of Egypt for his life afraid of the king. But God is for us like God is for Moses. And that's why he came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, to deliver us from our sins, to make our sins not be remembered anymore in God's mind, to make our so that God would be able to take our sins and cast them into the deepest sea, put them behind his back and remember our sins no more. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, God can now disregard our sins and our failures and focus on our victories and not on our failures. That's clearly seen when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his followers as he was getting close to the cross. And in Luke 22, 28 to 34, he has a little discussion, a little talk with his followers. And he says this, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. See, in this passage, the Lord Jesus took the time to look over, like God was looking over the life of Moses. And as he looks over his disciples, he says to them, you are the ones You are the very ones that have continued with me in my temptations. He told them that, that they were the ones that continued in loyalty through his temptations. He was going to, he said, because you've continued with me in loyalty, I'm going to reward you with a place of great, great responsibility. 
Now, as we've, we've read this passage, we know that he next focuses on Peter. And he says to Peter, he says that Peter was part of the disciples, so he said that to Peter. But then Peter goes on and says, Peter stands up, he says, Lord, I'll remain loyal to you to prison or even to death. And the Lord knew what was going to happen to Peter. And the Lord said to Peter, Peter, during the time of my greatest temptation, you will be so disloyal to me that you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. Now, the point is that the Lord knew that Peter was going to not continue in the temptation of his trial there at the Sanhedrin. And he told Peter how he was going to deny him three times under pressure. But still, even though that was in the mind of the Lord Jesus, with that in his view, he looked at Peter as he looked at all the disciples and he said to them, I'm identifying you, I'm characterizing you as they that have continued with me in my temptations. Why did he do that? Because of Romans 8.31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The beautiful words within that verse are, God be for us. God is for us. He's not against us. He's for us. He wants us to succeed. He chooses to see the best in us. He disregards. He chooses to disregard our failures. Look at how God referred to David. You think of David. And the, most, the, the, the sins are unbelievable with David. He had the sin of murder of Uriah, a good man. And then adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. It's it's spoken to us. And and, and, and when God looks back over it, here's how he refers to that. In 1 Kings 15, 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite? A treacherous adultery with the wife of Uriah and a treacherous murder of Uriah and God calls that only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite? Why? Because God was for David. God was for David. And David had confessed those sins in Psalm 51 and God punished David for those sins and now God is not holding those sins against David. And that's the way he deals with us. Those sins were under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice. So those sins became only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That's exactly how God views us, who've come to trust in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. All of our sins have been 100% paid for by the Lord Jesus. And now, as terrible as those sins were, they have become, as far as God is concerned, filed under the category of only in the matters of. God chooses to see the victories and not our failures. The Lord will never hold our sins against us. So God chose to only see the time when Moses, according to Hebrews 11.27, by faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now, Exodus 2, again, 14 through 15. As we've seen, the man said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. 
Boy, the last words of that verse 15, they're really graphic. And he sat down by a well. Six simple words. He sat down by a well. But we can see so much of what was happening with Moses. What was going on as he sat down by the well. We can just picture what Moses was thinking as he sat down by that well in the land of Midian. We can see Moses sitting down by that well and saying, What happened? My head's still spinning. Things have happened so fast. Everything has just completely turned upside down compared yesterday with today. It would have been very easy for Moses to have become greatly discouraged as he was sitting down there at that well and saying, Yesterday... I had the position as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I was heir to the throne of Egypt. And today, I'm an alien in a foreign country. Yesterday, I was somebody. Today, I'm a nobody. Yesterday, my home was was Egypt's royal palace. Today, I'm homeless. Yesterday, I was surrounded by Egyptians who I grew up with. Today, there's not an Egyptian in sight, only these foreign Midianites. Yesterday, I was with my Jewish brethren. Today, there's not a Jewish person in sight, only these foreign Midianites. Yesterday, I had men servants waiting on me. Today, I'm the servant of women watering their flocks. Yesterday, I was the deliverer of the Jewish people. Today, I need a deliverer myself. I need to be delivered. Yesterday, I could see the exciting purpose for my life. I understood how God, by my hand, was going to deliver my Jewish brethren. Today, the only purpose I can see for my life is to be killed if I set one foot inside of Egypt. Yesterday, Moses had this great vision for his life, the being the deliverer of the Jewish people. Today, Moses was looking at the death of that vision. There's one word that makes the death of that vision so painful for Moses, so poignant. And again, it's Acts 7.25, where if you like to turn to that, in Acts 7.25, where it reads like this, speaking of Moses, For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. That word, that makes it so painful for Moses is the word supposed. Supposed. That's the greatest heartache for Moses. The greatest heartache for Moses had as he was sitting down there by that well was the disappointment of how he supposed that his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. Every born-again lover of the Jewish people goes through that same hard experience in Acts 7.25. There is the seeing and the understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then there's the heartbreak for the Jewish people who do not see him. And the lover of the Jewish people thinks, I will show the Jewish people. I will give them my testimony with all the clarity and sincerity I can muster. And I suppose they will understand. But then there's that great disappointment that Moses went through with the words, but they understood not. 
the lover of the Jewish people thinks, I will show them how the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all these prophecies. I'll go over with them word by word, Isaiah 53. I'll go over with them word by word, Psalm 22 of the crucifixion. I will bring them to this church. I will bring them to my house. I will give them this book to read. And with each I will, there is that same Moses experience of supposing they would have understood. And then there is that unfortunate, sad Moses experience of, but they understood not. The call to love the Jewish people is a Jeremiah the prophet call. A call to be disappointed. A call to be discouraged. A call to have a broken heart. But God encourages and God mends the heart. But it is a call that Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 9.1 when he said, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I may weep day and night. So we can see Moses very discouraged sitting by that well. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt as low as Moses felt then? Have you ever been so discouraged like Moses was that you feel you just hit the bottom, rock bottom? Have you ever been in Moses' position of one day you're sitting on top of the world and what looks like the start of the realization of a wonderful life vision? And the next day that vision has died and you're in essence attending its funeral? I have. What do you do? Well, If we were Moses, we would have gone right from the what happened to the why it happened. So sitting by that well, Moses rehearses why that day was different from the day before, why the today was so different from yesterday. Sitting down by that well, Moses asks, what happened that made today so different from yesterday? And we can see Moses sitting down by that well and Moses is thinking that it's all my fault. I blew it. It was all my fault. His life of trusting God, his life of being used by God to deliver his brethren, he saw is over, finished. We can see Moses sitting down by that well and thinking that if he had only done a better job, when he looked this way and that way, if he had only really made sure that there was nobody there before he killed that Egyptian. We can see Moses sitting down at that well and rehearsing how he thought he took every precaution to make sure that what he did to the Egyptian would not be discovered. Sitting down there by that well was one of the lowest times in Moses' life. And for us, we want to know What do you do? What do you do when you're in that place that Moses is in? What do you do when you hit rock bottom, when you're at the lowest then for those times? Well, one of those times happened in the life of David. When David had taken his warfaring men, his war men, warriors, out to fight, and they left their wives and their children behind in a city, Ziklag. And that was a big mistake. Because a raiding party of the Amalekites came through when they were gone. They burned the city Ziklag and they took the wives and children of the men that were left behind. And David was so discouraged and his men were so angry they wanted to kill David. And that was one of the lowest times in David's life. And what did David do to recover himself? And that's our key from that type of discouragement. It's recorded in 1 Samuel 30 verse 1 through 6. 
And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag, and had smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, and their sons, and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So faced with this extreme discouragement, David could find no encouragement in his circumstances. His circumstances was that his army wanted to kill him. David could find no encouragement from his possessions. His possessions had all been stolen and what was left behind had been burned. David could find no encouragement from his friends. His friends were talking about killing him. David could find no encouragement from his wives. They were kidnapped. There was only one place where David could find encouragement, and that was in the Lord his God. And so David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What does that look like for David? David thought back on the past and purposed to see in the past the hand of God, the good hand of God that was for him. And then David thanked God for that. David thought of what a wonderful opportunity it was for David now, stripped of everything, every person, to be able to say and mean it because he went through this, Psalm seventy-three twenty-five: Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. David thought of how he still had his army with him. He thanked God for that, even though they wanted to kill him. David thought of how there was no evidence that any of the wives or the children had been killed. David thanked God for that. So, seeing Moses sitting by that well, what could we say to encourage Moses in the Lord his God as David did? We could say, Moses, I know you are very discouraged by the response of that Jewish person on the second day. But Moses, just think, what would have happened to you if you did not go out on that second day and encounter that rejecting Jewish person? Moses, what would have happened if you did not come across those two Jewish men who were fighting? Moses, What would have happened to you if you had not intervened and tried to reconcile them? Moses, what would have happened if that person had not rebuffed you with those words, intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Moses, do you remember what you said when he said that? And you said, surely this thing is known. Moses, what would have happened if you had not discovered that surely this thing is known before Pharaoh had found out, we would say to Moses, Moses, all those things that happened, happened to you as a concert working together. They were working together so that you could escape Egypt with your life. We would say to Moses, Moses, God is the God who makes Romans 8.28 a reality for you, which says, and we know 
that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Moses, it was a good thing that you could escape with your life, and you were able to because God made all those things work together. Well, that's where we'll finish for today. In our next study, we're going to follow Moses in his new life in the land of Midian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being the mighty God that you are and that you are for us. You're a God of love. You're a God of great encouragement, Lord. You're a God who is making all things work together for us. And we thank you how you do this in Moses' life and in our lives. Help us, Lord, to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now, what are the most frequently asked questions or FAQs that Jewish people have? Well, Tom Cantor has written his most popular book called Frequently Asked Questions by Jewish People. Now, this book will help you to better reach lost Jewish people as well as know your Bible doctrine better and contend for the faith with anyone you encounter. With nearly 60 pages of questions and notes and helps and answers, it shows the character, doctrine, and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as you've never seen it before. Now, if you'd like to obtain a copy of this book, please call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go to our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. To receive a copy of Tom Cantor's book, Frequently Asked Questions, go to friendshipwithgod.org, visit our online bookstore, or again, you can call us today at 1-800-247-3051. And remember that today's message and previous messages are available for free listening and free download at our website's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also visit israelrestoration.org. And if you have a lost Jewish friend, we want you to call us today so we can send you a free gospel gift of Tom Cantor's personal testimony on DVD and booklet so that your friend can know the Messiah and Savior just as you. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 